0: Good morning, Jeremy. Today, we begin a new series of sermons called For Everyone that's going to highlight sections of a book of the Bible called Luke. Now, before we dive into it, I want to give you a little, little Bible background. Luke is one of four gospels. Now, what are the gospels? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, the, the gospels are four different portraits of one Jesus. Four different books that give us different perspectives that are written from different perspectives for different audiences and for different purposes. And all of them record for us the life and teachings of Jesus in just a little different way. Now, where where are the Gospels found? Again, I'm, I'm glad you asked. They are the first four books in our New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Luke, the book that we're going to look at over these next few weeks, is written about the year 62 A.D., and the setting of it is is Palestine. Now just to help set the tone a little bit, that area of Palestine at this time was, was ruled by Rome. They were basically an occupied territory, and they ruled it with an iron fist. Now, Luke is, is a great gospel because there's some prominent themes that, that come up within the book. One, one of the themes that, that we'll, we'll see over and over again is that the kingdom of God is for the poor. Jesus just loves to come in and kind of turn things upside down. And he talks about how he, he himself ushers in God's kingdom. And as he does, he brings in a new Israel and is for the outcast, it's for the poor, and is for the marginalized. And he offers all people at a place, a place at God's kingdom and a place at his banquet table. And related to that is another theme that we see throughout the book, and that's Jesus' upside down kingdom. It's a place where, like I said, all are welcome, but it's also a place where power structures are reversed and turned upside down. And God says, or Jesus says, God's kingdom is for the humble is for the outcast and he elevates the poor to a place of honor and we're going to see that in our text today as we dive in and that's really why this whole sermon series is called for everyone because jesus is very clear that god's kingdom is for everybody well, when Luke writes his gospel, he, he kind of begins it with an interesting little prologue. And as he does in chapter 1, the first four verses, he, kinda, he explains why he is writing his gospel and who he's writing it to. So just the first four verses of Luke 1 kind of lays out where he's going with it. Here's what he says. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I love how he begins this gospel. He says, here's why I'm writing. Here's my purpose. And he says, I've investigated things. So, you know, he's kind of like the, the very first investigative journalist. He, he's looked at the sources. He talked to the eyewitnesses. And now he says he wants to write an orderly account. In other words, just a well-organized presentation of Jesus. Why? Well, he writes to this person named Theophilus. And he says, I want you, Theophilus, to know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. To know the certainty that we can have in our faith. He's writing to Theophilus and to us today that we can have certainty about who Jesus is and what he has taught some more more things about the book of luke it's it's interesting because in the middle of the book there's this um, what scholars call the central section go figure it's in the middle but it's also called the travel narrative or or the journey to jerusalem because starting in chapter 9 and not until chapter 19 uh, jesus sets out and then finally enters jerusalem So in these ten chapters in the middle, this travel narrative contains some of the highlights of the book of Luke. Some of the most well-known teachings of Jesus and parables and instructions are found in this center section. Well, this this center section has also been labeled the gospel of the outcast. Because it's there, he just drives home the fact that God's love is for everyone, for the outsider. And the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is for everyone. And the climax of this travel section in in that middle part of Luke is this encounter that Jesus has with a man named Zacchaeus in chapter 19. And it's a story of an outsider, way outside, who encounters Jesus, who responds to his call, and is transformed as a result. So we're going to start our series in Luke in chapter 19. You know, we looked at a brief prologue in chapter 1, but we're going to jump to the heart of the gospel in chapter 19 because there it really unfolds the ultimate purpose of it. Now, but before we look at chapter 19, let me give a little introduction to this guy Zacchaeus, who he was and what he did for a living. Well, Zacchaeus made his living as a tax collector. Um, And in that day and era, tax collectors were hated to the extreme because they worked for the Roman government. You know, they, they would kind of franchise out their business, and their job was to collect money for Rome. And as they did so, extortion was the norm. And our scripture tells us, as we look at it in just a moment, that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. That, that would mean that he had other tax collectors under him. He was kind of the, the regional director and had all these other underlings over him. So Zacchaeus would have been looked at as the worst of the worst. Well, that's the kind of guy we encounter in Luke chapter 19. You know, I, I recently read the story of a, of a fitness center challenge. Where, where the owner of this fitness center would pay out $1,000 to anybody that could squeeze more uh, drops out of a lemon than he could. And, you know, as, as it was unfolded, the, the owner would grab a lemon and just squeeze it with all his might. I mean, this guy was intensely strong. He would squeeze it, squeeze it until the last drop came out. And anybody who could squeeze more out of that, he would pay out 1000 bucks. Well, over time, many accepted the challenge. Weightlifters came along, construction workers, professional wrestlers. You know, the owner would squeeze a the lemon, then he'd pass off this mangled mess of, of lemon to the person, and they would try and try and try, and nothing, nothing would squeeze out. Well, one, one day, the skinny, scrawny guy walks in, and he signs up for the contest, you know, puts his name down, everybody starts laughing, and chuckling at him, who is this guy, right, you know? So he signs up, and, laugh, and once the laughter subsides, the owner grabs a lemon, just squeezes away every last drop, and hands the pulp of what's left of, of this lemon to this skinny, scrawny guy. And he grabs it, and as he, as he squeezes, the crowd quiets down. The laughter subsides because as he's squeezing, they see a drop come out, but not one drop, but not two drop, but six drops of lemon juice come out, and they're amazed. And the the owner's good for it; he's writing out a check for a thousand bucks. And as he's giving it to this guy, he says, "Man, what what do you do for a living? Are you like a lumberjack? You know, professional wrestler? What do you do?" He says, "No, I I work for the IRS." <laughs> you know. <laughs> Collecting taxes, collecting taxes during the time of Jesus was a little different. You know, the Roman government as an entity, they needed a lot of money. I mean, they were constantly doing building projects, they were building roads, they had a lot of construction, and they needed other people's money to survive and, and to expand their empire. So all of those roads and building had to be underwritten, and the way they did it is through collecting local taxes. But they had no no uh, 1040 forms back then. They had no tax code to regulate what level a person could be taxed. All the Roman government required was that these tax collectors turn in X amount of dollars for their region. And anything over and above that was how the tax collectors made their living. So, so you can imagine the, the corruption that went on. You can uh, imagine just, you know, the abuse and the, and the extortion. And, you know, they, w- they would turn in what they needed, but everything else was kind of icing on the cake. So tax collectors like Zacchaeus, they were considered cheats and liars, and dishonest. And as a result, they were not allowed to enter into a synagogue or enter the temple to worship. So they were, they were hated because of their occupation, and because of that, they were not allowed to enter into the worship and into the religious culture of their day. So with that background, let's look at Zacchaeus' story in chapter 19 of Luke. We'll look at the first 10 verses. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So he came down and at once welcomed him gladly. Now all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That last verse, verse 10, is Luke's central theme. To the whole book, he wraps up in that verse. That's why we're starting in chapter 19 and not uh, back digging into verse 1 more that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, and he says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. So with the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, God's salvation has arrived. God's kingdom has arrived. And it's available to all of those who respond in faith, regardless of past, regardless of social status, regardless of ethnicity, because Jesus is for everyone. So as we look at Zacchaeus today, we're going to see that he moves from the fringe, kind of just being a curious outsider, checking out who this Jesus is, to Jesus being very real in his life. In fact, Jesus is in his home to moving into a relationship with Jesus where he calls him Lord, and his life is changed as a result. So as we look look at his life, we're also going to see how Jesus did ministry. And hopefully we can learn from Jesus today, because we're going to see that his approach to ministry was intentional, it was relational, and it led to life change. Well, first of all, Jesus' ministry was intentional. You know, at the beginning of the verse, we see that he is just passing through Jericho. Jesus is really, he's on the way to Jerusalem. He's, he's near the end of his earthly ministry. Chapter 19 is the end of this travel narrative that Luke, Luke writes. And at the end of the chapter, he is in Jerusalem. And it's his tri, triumphal entry. And, he, and he's entering into his last week of life. But before he gets there, he wants to stop at Bethany, the small village on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and spend some time with friends. So Jesus knows that as he enters Jerusalem here in just a a short amount of time, that as he does so, he knows he's going to be arrested, he knows that he's going to be hung on a cross until dead, and he knows that he has to do that to fulfill God's plan. So that's what he's walking into. But to get there, I mean, just travel-wise, he has to pass through Jericho. That's not his destination. That's not where he wants to end up. He's just passing through, going by. And as he's going through this town of Jericho, like, like so often, crowds of people followed Jesus wherever he went. You know, some, some were the disciples, some were committed, but more often than not, it was just the curious people. I mean, they've heard about this Jesus. They want to kind of get a view for him. You know, he's been in the news headlines lately. They just want to get a glimpse of this guy who claims to be the Messiah. So, well, one of those fringe curious people is Zacchaeus. You know, he, want, he wants to check him out. So this guy with social challenges who's hated and wants to be avoided, nobody wants to have the, the tax collector over to his, his house, right? He's got social challenges, but he's also vertically challenged, Scripture tells us. So he's, he's, a, he's determined to see this guy, so he, he climbs, he runs and he climbs up a, a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. Now, now, we don't know how God was working in the heart of Zacchaeus to prepare him for this meeting that day but we do know that he was curious enough to run and climb a tree and something in that day and age that that a grown male just didn't do. So he was already, you know, a fringe person, so he thought, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna climb a tree because I wanna see this Jesus guy. You know, when I was growing up in Sunday school, we used to sing the song about Zacchaeus, that Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. You guys still sing that today? you know and and the story you know we we just focus on him being this little tiny guy and scripture says yeah he was but but the focus of this text is not on the small size of zacchaeus the focus really is on how big a savior that we have in jesus and the question then is really who is looking for who here You know, more than Zacchaeus wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus, Jesus was looking for a guy like Zacchaeus and sought him out. So Jesus pauses on his way to Jerusalem. You know, we might think initially, is this a detour? Is this going to be a delay? So he pauses and he goes to the home of Zacchaeus. And while he's there, we realize that, no, this is not a detour. This is why Jesus has come. This is what he was all about. He intentionally connects with a man who probably felt very unconnected in life. And he paused to look at this outsider. He looks for the unconnected. He looks for the disconnected and those alone. And he intentionally makes that connection. And as I look at that in the life of Jesus, I think, what, what does that look like for us? What does that look like for us to, to be intentionally connecting with people. You know, th- th- this week I was, I was sitting at my other office, which is the table coffee shop, and I was down there working, and and, and uh, a, a group of people came in, and I saw um, uh, girls just sit down alone uh, from this group, and all the other uh, girls were at another table, and then and then as I'm watching this unfold, I see a guy come over and say, hey. can can I sit with you you know do you mind if I join you and I thought man that's a perfect picture of intentionally connecting stopping and seeing someone who is maybe socially awkward socially outside of the group that was sitting by themselves and laughing and joking and here was a guy that just intentionally connected you know and that's what it looks like for us saying hey do you you mind if I join you you know is that seat taken can I can I sit here or, or you make those sometime appointments. You know what I mean? Hey, do you want to grab coffee sometime? Do you want to grab lunch sometime? You know, do you want to come over and watch the game? Intentionally making those connections with people that are, are on the fringe. You see, Jesus' ministry was intentional. Well, that leads us to the second point today, and that Jesus' ministry was relational, relationally based. I mean, he cared about this guy, Zacchaeus. He stops, and he literally sees the man. He makes eye contact with him, and he calls him by name. Can can you imagine how how Zacchaeus would have felt that day? Out of all the crowd, all the throngs of people following Jesus, lining the roads to get a look at him, he stops, and, and he points out Zacchaeus. He singles him out, and he says, hey, you, I want to spend time with you. You know, when I, was, when I was growing up, one of the more humbling experiences I had uh, was going to PE class in elementary school. Now, I was not a superb athlete, you know. I, I was never the first-round draft pick when it came to sports in, in my elementary school. I was just, just wanted to have fun, you know. I just, you know, I enjoyed being on the playground, but, but when it came to PE class, but back when I was little, they did this horrific thing to pick teams, And I don't know if they still do it or not, but they would line us up in a single file, and then they'd pick two team captains, right? And the team captains were always the popular guys. They're always the jocks in the school. And then they would stand there and select who they wanted on their team. And, man, it was humbling because you never wanted to be like anything past the third-round draft pick, you know? And it was just humiliating to be the second-to-last or the last person. And, and they would go down the line, and, and they, would, they would pick who they wanted, and sometimes they would argue, you know, I want Jim. No, I want Jim. Okay, if you can have Jim, if I can, if I can have this person, and I'd be standing there, you know, <laughs> waiting wait for me to get picked. You know, I was never athletic enough, never popular enough. I never sported the latest athletic footwear to be, to be picked. You know, I wasn't that coordinated, and when it came to kickball on, on the playground, I made a few errors, and I would overthrow the bases, and I would strike out a few times, but I was just there to have fun. And I thought, as I was working on the sermon, you know, what would it look like if Jesus was the team captain on the playground? You know, he'd, we'd, we'd be lined up, and he'd say, okay, scrawny kid with zero coordination, number one draft pick. You're on my team, you know? Okay, you, you the, the kid that prefers playing Minecraft over kickball, you're, you're on my team. You star athlete, you know, varsity player, thir, you know, three-sport athlete, back of the line. You know, Jesus was turning things upside down. The, the unexpected became the expected, and vice versa. And Zacchaeus, he would have been sporting the Team Jesus jersey all the way. See, Jesus looks past Performance looks past position and towards the heart. So he stops and he pauses and he looks at the unlovely. He stops for the unlikely and he selects the unknown. The ministry of Jesus, it was intentional and it was relational. Because he always had time for people. And as I think about it, I, w- I would have wondered what Zacchaeus' reaction would have been like. When Jesus stops, he looks up at him and, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus is looking around going, me? You, uh, you're talking to me? Like, yeah, you, you Zacchaeus, not, not the other Zacchaeus? No, wait, you want to come to my house? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I do for a living? Do you know how much, everybody, how much people hate me? And Jesus says, I must come to your house today. And we can learn from Jesus there, can't we? To connect, you got to be willing to go into people's homes and be a part of their lives, part of their world, part of their circles, and intentionally, relationally connect with them. This is one of the clearest illustrations of how Jesus did ministry. That's why it's a central part of this gospel. The method of Jesus was always at the personal level. The message of Jesus was always at that relational level. So in your life, who who can you be intentional and relational with? And think about maybe how you came to faith. Who was relational with you that that brought you to that point? And in turn, who can you point other people, who, who can you point Jesus to in your life? Well, the ministry of Jesus was intentional. It was relational. But also the ministry of Jesus was always about life change. Look back at at verse 8. Zacchaeus stands up and and he said to to Jesus, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, "Today salvation has come to this house. I love that because this man too is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus' life, and it was changed and transformed because of this encounter with Jesus. And when, when Jesus says this man too, that Zacchaeus, he is also a son of Abraham, that, that he's a part of God's plan, that he's welcome into, into Israel, that would have shocked so many people there that day. Because everybody else around them are thinking, that's the same guy that just robbed me blind that just took from my business, that just took from my family, and took all all my extra income. That guy that extorts people all around town, he, he's a son of Abraham? Anybody but him? Well, Jesus says, yes, him. Especially people like him. So this unexpected, never imagined, or thought of possible kind of outcome, Zacchaeus is changed. See, the purpose of Jesus' ministry is change. And at that point, Jesus declares his life mission, why he came, that he is there to seek and save the lost. Scholar William Barclay says that we must always be careful how we take the meaning of this word lost. In the New Testament, it does not mean damned or doomed. It simply means in the wrong place. the wrong place represents any time in our life or experience where our relationship with God is disconnected, disrupted, or non-existent. Have you ever found yourself in the wrong place? You know, Google Maps won't won't get us out of a spiritually wrong place, and it's not always clear and and clear-cut on how to get out of this place because sometimes we don't even know we're lost and Sometimes, you know, we're there and we don't even know it. And I realize that, that in a group this size, some people here today are in that place where your relationship with God is disconnected, where, where it's disrupted or even non-existent. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up this morning. And as they do, let me just encourage you and remind you, Journey, that God wants you to be in the right place. He wants you to have a right relationship with Him. And God, He does give us a a GPS, but of a different sort. Not a global positioning system, but the God positioning system, and it's Jesus, His Son. That's why Jesus came to bring us back into that relationship. That's what what he meant by when he came to seek and save the lost, to put things in the right place, into a right relationship. You know, lostness, it distorts us, distorts God's original relationship, His, his original design. You know, as I read Luke 19, it's the original Celebrate Recovery program right there. Because Zacchaeus has been recovered, his relationship is restored, and he celebrates it at the end. And faith radically transformed this man's life. And like Zacchaeus, Jesus is looking for you. He's pursuing you. So let's pursue him in return. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that you give us an example like Zacchaeus and how he jesus how you changed his life by making time for him so father we i pray that all the people here in this room today i want to pray for them that they might move from lostness to be restored that maybe we've been disrupted in our relationship with you and lord we ask that you bring us back to the right place a right relationship with you and we know we can do that through jesus your son so it's in his name that we pray amen